Thanks, Sam. Thank you, guys. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Matthew 5, 8, as well as 1 Kings 17 and 18. Let's ask our good God to guide our time. It's right that we would call you good, Father. It's right that we would call you good, Son. It's right that we would call you good, Spirit. We thank you that you intersect our lives, that you care for us, that you love us, that you're not deistic, disinterested, and disengaged, but you're an intimate God. Thank you for your inspired word, inerrant without error. And we ask, Father, that you would take your word, apply it to our lives, change us, transform us. Thank you for the Thanksgiving season. And now the Christmas season, which we're rapidly moving towards. One reminds us to daily thank you for who you are and all you've done, and the other reminds us that you came through your Son to rescue sinners like us, that if we would believe in your Son, Jesus, as Savior, we would be granted eternal life. Father, intersect us again today through your Word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Today we're going to talk a little bit about purity. And when we talk about purity in the text, we're talking about an undivided nature, a laser focus on God. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Our society is quite into purity, though maybe selectively so. For instance, we're into pure water. Not just our society, our world, and rightly so. How good it is that Highland on occasion has had the opportunity to help in the third world to dig deep wells to provide pure water. But we go beyond deep wells, don't we? We like our water bottled Maybe 10,000 B.C., Canadian glacier water. Or maybe Fuji water or Veen water from Finland. We like pure water. Not that we're bragging, but we also like pure air. We don't live in the smog of Southern California or the smog of China. Our air is pure. It's central Wisconsin. It's North Woods air. And we rightly like it. Some of us like our food pure. So we go organic or something like that. We like pure water, pure air, pure food. It wasn't that long ago that I had a young couple in my office. We were going through some premarital counseling. They brought their computer. And I've noticed a lot of young people younger than me, 
they have stickers now on their laptops, and so I always look at their stickers. It tells me a little bit about them, and they had a number of stickers, one of which read, vote for the planet. That told me they were interested in nature remaining pure. We're really into purity, but it's selective purity. But the purity that God is interested in is purity of heart. It's a laser focus. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. It's focused on God, the kingdom of God, the glory of God, serving God, living for God, having God as the focal point of our life. But that's not necessarily the purity of the world. In a few moments, we're going to look at an Old Testament character that I think has purity of heart. But before we do that, I'll share another character. It's a couple. It's a number of years ago. They were hungry. It was near lunchtime. They went down to Kentucky Fried Chicken. They wanted a little bit of the Colonel's Bucket Chicken. They walked in and the manager was unfocused. He was thinking about a thousand things. It had been his habit for many years to periodically empty the drawers of excess cash and to put the excess cash in a bucket and put a lid on the bucket in case the place was ever robbed, not all the money would be taken. And in the midst of lots of customers, he handed the wrong bucket to this set of customers. $800 was in that bucket. They left. They went down to a local park. They grabbed a picnic bench. They opened it up expecting to have some fried chicken. You can imagine their surprise when they found $800. What would you have done? What about me? I suspect for many of you, you would immediately take the money back. You would rule it out of bounds. Not yours. That's what they did. You can imagine the joy of the manager who, by this time, had figured out what he had done. How much joy was in his heart when they walked in and returned the $800. He was ecstatic. He was beside himself. He said, you know what? We need to call up the local newspaper, have them come down with a photographer. We'll take your picture. We'll splash it on the front page tomorrow. You guys are some of the most honest people I have ever met. And the man said, no, no, no. We want no part in that. The manager said, oh, no, I insist. To which the man leaned over the counter and whispered, you can't do that. The woman I'm with is not my wife. Disappointing, isn't it? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart is not just being impressive to one another. It's being transparent before the Lord who knows all things, hears all things, sees all things. Let me share three Quick verses before we get to the main text. Hebrews 4.13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must 
give account. Sometimes we have the attitude that if nobody has seen, nobody has heard, nobody knows, we've gotten away with it. But the Lord knows the attitudes behind the action. He knows the thoughts that go through our minds. He knows our motives, why we do what we do or don't do what we don't do. It's more than just actions. God's interested in the heart of the matter. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I like what David wrote, inspired by God's Spirit in Psalm 139, 7-12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, that is, nobody's seeing, nobody can perceive, I'm hidden, nobody knows what I'm doing, even the darkness, it's not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The gals sharing the latest dirt around coffee, the Lord hears. The guys sharing a Coke and some off-color stories, God is there. The young unmarried couple in the back of a car, God perceives, God knows, God is present. The supervisor who mistreats those he supervises, God is aware. The voyeuristic looks, the self-centered actions, God sees. Proverbs 24, 12 puts it this way. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? In other words, there is nothing outside the purview of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. As I think of somebody who is pure in heart, there's so many options both in the Bible and even among many of you. I've settled on Elijah. I've settled on the Mount Carmel barbecue experience. If you're familiar with Mount Carmel, you know it's up north in Israel. It's between the Mediterranean and the Galilee. It's not really a mountain. It's a mountain range. In fact, we have uh, aqueducts, two of them coming from the Mount Carmel region, all the way to the Mediterranean, spanning about 18 to 20 miles. That's the area up north of Mount Carmel. And it is here that God's prophet Elijah will say to the people of Israel, how long, how long will you, will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And the people answered not. You see, Elijah wants the people of Israel, 
He wants you, he wants me not to limp in our walk with the Lord, not to be divided, but to be single-focused, razor-focused on God. Blessed are the pure, the undivided, the unadulterated. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to pick up in our text, and we'll uh, begin with uh, 1 Kings 18. We'll read verses 1 and 2, and then skip to 17 and 18. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab. Ahab is the king. He's an evil king of Israel. And I will send rain upon the earth. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. In chapter 17, we have Elijah coming to the king and saying, because of your sin, it will not rain until my word, until I say it. So three and a half years, we have drought. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, which is down about halfway into the country, just above Jerusalem. Let me read verses 17 and 18. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler? Ochre is the Hebrew word. It means asp. It means cobra. It means poisoner. Is it you, you poisoner of Israel? That's what he's asking. Are you the one that has poisoned Israel? And you remember what he says. It is not I who have poisoned. It is you and your fathers because you have gone after the Baals. You have not obeyed the commandments of the Lord. We're in the 9th century B.C. It's a time period when the king is Ahab, his wife is Jezebel. They're a godless king and queen. They go after Canaanite deities called Baal and Asherah really quite disgusting deities, and they are leading all of Israel astray. Because of this, God has sent his prophet Elijah to tell the people that it will not rain until Elijah's word, until God tells Elijah to tell the king that the skies will open. It's been three and a half years of drought. You can picture what the land looks like. We have bloated animal carcasses all around. We have wadis and rivers that have not had water in years. The land is cracked. The forests are, are crippled. They're, they're destroyed. You can picture the farmland. It's been devastated. It's been three and a half years. And God has said to his prophet Elijah, go and hide yourself. We know why. We learn in chapter 18, verse 10, that King Ahab has essentially made Elijah the most wanted man in all of Israel. We can picture a thousand most wanted posters. Elijah's picture on it. Wanted, dead or alive, preferably dead. He sent his armies to foreign countries. Not only is he searching for Elijah in his land, he's going to the outermost countries. He wants this man. He wants him brought back. He wants him dead. Elijah's life isn't worth the paper that his picture is on. After three and a half years of utter drought, desolation, destruction, God comes to the prophet 
And he says, I want you to go back and speak to King Ahab. And the next verse says, Elijah went. Now think about that. You're wanted, dead or alive. Your picture is on most wanted posters. The army has even gone to foreign countries to track you down. Three and a half years of a downward turn in the stock market. And you're to blame, at least from the eyes of the king. And God comes and says, go and present yourself to the king. And we might say, well, can we have a little discussion, God? I mean, you know, some of your commands don't really work here on earth. You know, if I go and present myself to the king, I've had my last day. But none of that is in the text. The text says, Elijah went. I want to be a man like Elijah. I suspect you want to be a woman, a man like Elijah. And when he comes, what does he say? He hears the words, you are the troubler of Israel. You are the ochre. You are the poisoner. You are the cobra. You are the asp of Israel that has destroyed the land. And immediately Elijah speaks up. Again, I want to be like Elijah. This might be a moment to be quiet in front of the king, you think? But Elijah says, don't call me the troubler. You are the troubler. You and your fathers before because you have disobeyed the commands of the Lord. This drought is because of you. This drought is because of idolatry. This drought is because you don't have purity of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. You're not seeing God because you have a divided heart. And you've divided our country against the Lord. You have one foot in the world and you have one foot perhaps in faith. And God says, blessed are the pure in heart, the unadulterated, the undivided. They're the ones that see God. It is at this point that Elijah then issues a challenge that all the nation might know who God truly is. So let's pick up in our text again. I want to read this time verses 19 to 24. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. Again, that's an entire region, though the spot is fairly well marked in Israel today. There's a Carmelite monastery at the spot in which this took place. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table, that is Ahab's wife. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people. He said, how long? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. Now we know later on that that is not true because Scripture tells us that Elijah thinks he's the only one, but there's actually 7,000 that have not bowed their knee. But at this point, he doesn't know that. I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. 
But Baal's prophets are 450 men, and they're all present. No other prophet of God is present. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. It's time. It's time for Israel. It's time for us. It's time to decide who we will serve. No longer limping between two opinions. No longer with a leg in the world and a leg in faith. It's time to decide if God is God, then we serve him. If God is not God, we serve a plethora of false gods. It's time. So Elijah has this contest set up in the region of Mount Carmel. Humanly speaking, it's a totally unfair contest. We have to understand that Mount Carmel was a center of idolatry. We have unearthed a number of Baal statues in the Mount Carmel region. And guess what many of those statues have? They have Baal holding a lightning bolt. He's the god of weather. I mean, this is a totally unfair contest. This is Baal's home stadium. This is Baal's home turf. And he's the god of weather. He's the god of lightning. What's the contest? Send just a little lightning. Send just a little fire. And the God who can send a little bit of fire, he is the one true God. And we'll notice in verses 25 and 29, the 450 prophets of Baal, they get to choose which sacrifice among the two. They get to go first. They get all the morning and most of the afternoon. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. There's only one prophet of God. Humanly speaking, this is a totally unfair contest. It's his home stadium, his home turf. They're asking for what he does best, send a little lightning. He gets most of the day, and he has 450 prophets, and God gets one. That's the contest. Let me pick up and read verses 25 to 29. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. Call upon the name of your God, but put no fire in it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered. They limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, that means he's thinking, he's in deep thought, he's studying, you got to wake him up, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. That is a liquid offering, probably in late afternoon. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. 
the Baal prophets. They're pleading, they're gyrating, they're cutting themselves, they're using lances, they're on their knees, they're on their hands, they're, their hands are spread, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're dancing, they're doing anything they can to get the attention of Baal, but he doesn't seem to be acting. Understand that the almost uniform understanding of the Old Testament prophets is that it is ludicrous. It is ludicrous to worship a man-made idol. It is ludicrous to worship a grotto. It is ludicrous to worship an icon. It is ludicrous to worship a deceased so-called saint. They mock it over and over and over again. Read Psalm 115, 5 to 8. Read Ezekiel 22, the third verse. He calls man-made idols Geol. I'm embarrassed to tell you what the Hebrew word means. It's not pleasant. It's fighting words. And so Elijah is calm for most of the morning. But of course nothing happens. No lightning from the God of lightning. And so he begins to mock them. In fact, he's not very polite, is he? Maybe he's thinking, wake him up. Maybe he's on a journey. You need to call louder. Maybe he's on the celestial porcelain throne. He's a little bit busy. That's the language that's used here. It's the mockery of anyone who would worship something man-made, human-devised, rather than the one true God. But unlike Baal, the one true God hears. The one true God knows. The one true God answers. You know what happens in verses 30 to 40. We're in the middle of a drought. It's almost embarrassing. People's lips are cracked. Their tongues are swollen. The land around is devastated. And Elijah not only builds the altar... But then he has them pour water and more water and more water in the picture of all these people who are longing for just a little sip. And he's wasting this water. And he prays. And the water evaporates. It's lapped up. And the offering is destroyed. And even the rocks are obliterated. Liquidate, they're gone. Don't miss that detail. The text tells us when Elijah built the altar, what did he do? He took 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Joseph. And God destroyed it. That was not a subtle message. God was telling the nation, that he will turn up the heat if they don't have pure hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The stones are gone. The stones are destroyed. Nothing left of the stones. And the stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Not a subtle message. Not at all. The key verse, I think, in the text is verse 21. How long 
Will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. I believe the text is urging all Christ's followers today to examine do we have laser focus on the kingdom? Do we have laser focus on Christ? Are we focused in on who God is and how we are to serve him? Or do we have one leg in the faith camp and one leg in the world camp? God wants all of us. Blessed are the pure in heart, the unadulterated, the undivided. Blessed are the pure in heart. They're the ones that see God. In conclusion, let me offer two final thoughts. Imagine what God can do with one. Imagine what God can do with one. I'll make a heretical statement and then I'll clean it up. God plus one is a majority. God alone is a majority. And we have the privilege of joining God. Imagine what God can do at a college campus with one student, on a high school campus, with one student, in a middle school or elementary school, with one student, one teacher, one faculty member who's living for the Lord. Imagine what God can do Probably not tough to imagine because we look out and we see it happening and praise the Lord. Imagine what God can do in a factory or a bank or a business or a hospital or clinic with one employee, one individual who lives for the Lord, who honors the Lord, who puts the Lord above all else. Imagine what God can do. A person who's on mission, on point, who doesn't dichotomize one's life between Sunday morning and Monday morning. It's all the same. We live for Jesus. Imagine what God can do. Imagine what he is doing through some of you. That's what he did through Elijah. Elijah not only went up against a king, King Ahab. He didn't only go up against 450 prophets of Baal. He went up against an entire nation. Nobody was on his side. Well, we know 7,000, but they seem to be hidden somewhere. The crowds clearly are not on his side. And yet, look what he did. And now I know what we're going to say. We're going to say, well, Elijah's a prophet. I'm not. James anticipated that, didn't he, in the New Testament, the fifth chapter in his epistle. James said, Elijah is a man just like us. Because James knew what I would say. I'm not a prophet. I can't expect to be someone like Elijah and James pulls the rug out from under him, and he says, no, no, Jeff. Elijah's a man just like us. It's not Elijah. It's the God who works through Elijah. It's not you. It's not me. It's the God who works through us. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have an undivided, undiluted 
heart for God, they shall see God. They will see God work in and through us for his glory. Finally, straddling the fence, being divided is idolatry. I want to remember that. It's idolatry. I'm too sophisticated to worship an idol that's made with human hands, but I, I worship all sorts of idols. I think it was Pascal, but I'm not sure at this moment. It seems to have escaped me. But I think it was Pascal who said that our hearts are idol factories. Idol factories. We worship our work and we worship our bank account. And we worship our recreation and we worship popularity. We worship good things like family and friends. But God calls us to worship Him. The key verse is verse 21. How long, Jeff, will you go on limping? Go on limping between two opinions. If the Lord is God, worship Him. If Baal, the idols, are God, worship them. I look out and I see a number of people who are on point, on mission, on fire. You live out, connect with others, grow in Christ, and go and tell others about Jesus. You live out taking the next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And thank you for that model. But even, even some of you, have one more step, one more step, one more step in Jesus. There might be some who truly know in our hearts that we straddle the fence. We don't have laser focus. We're not on mission. We're not on point. In fact, we might even lean more to the world than we do towards the Lord. Elijah wants us to remember Mount Carmel. He wants us to remember that we're limping. We're limping between two opinions. If God is God, choose him. If he's not, choose the world. Don't go halvesies. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Let's be pure in heart. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you for the Beatitudes that sharpen who we are and call us to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus and to be on point, to be on mission, to connect with believers, to grow in Christ and to go forth and let others know about Jesus. Help us to be women and men, older and younger, who are like Elijah, who's just like us. Father, empower us by your Spirit to have laser focus on you, your kingdom, your glory, to use our time, our talents, our treasures for your kingdom. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.